It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Football Social Daily Premier League Preview Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily, the Premier League preview show. We are the only Premier League podcast that gives you all the latest news, transfer gossip and talking points from across the Premier League every single day. Now, it's week four of the Premier League season. And finally, does it feel like we're all nice and settled? Maybe. (laughs) On tonight's show, though, we're going to be breaking down the North London derby. We're going to be discussing Javi Garcia's future at Watford. Is it too early already to be talking about sackings? And we're looking ahead at Crystal Palace, or looking back at Crystal Palace's start to the season as well. Plus, we're going to preview every single Premier League game, some a bit more than others, some will whiz through, because to be fair, there's some pretty dull games in the league this weekend. As always, I am joined in the studio by a group of lovely gentlemen, and tonight that is Sam Lee, Mark Critchley and Fergal Brennan. Good evening, gents. Hello. Good evening. Hello. Everybody well? Yeah, yeah, very good, thanks. Well, we're going to start this evening by talking about the North London derby. Now, is it fair to say that both of these teams have had a fairly lukewarm start to the season? And could this be the red hot game that gets them both going? Yeah, I think both sets of fans would probably agree with that. If you're a Spurs fan or an Arsenal fan like myself and your your side isn't, you know, kind of excited by this game and viewing this game as an opportunity to set a bit of a fire under them and, and kickstart your season, then then I think there's a problem. Um, Arsenal suffered a bit of a hangover. Uh, I promised when we were preparing for the show I wouldn't talk too much about last weekend at Anfield, but I think that how Arsenal react to losing that game will probably decide how they do against Tottenham. Tottenham had a very, very, very strange performance against Newcastle last weekend. So as, as you say, Nat, both teams are coming into this in a very, very odd situation. I wouldn't quite say low on confidence, but kind of still finding their feet in in where they want to be this season, where they want to be tactically, where they want to be in terms of personnel. I don't think you want to make any rash decisions this early on in the season, but if if one team, one of these teams loses this game, uh, then you know you, you suddenly start asking questions about the start of the season and which direction they're headed in. I think the concern for Arsenal last week that we saw was uh, their setup. Really, they were 
trying to pass it out the back against Liverpool. They were giving Liverpool the wings to play down, which is just not what you do when you go to Anfield. And then with Tottenham, there's a whole load of questions there about why is Eriksen not playing? The Vertonghen's out of the team. They look like they didn't have any ideas against Newcastle. And so this is a real, you know, it's going to be a real test of their credentials at the start of the season. Yeah, you're right. It's 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 such a strange one because Arsenal are always kind of in this state. And I mean, even with Wenger, you would you would know you would know that they probably weren't going to get top four in the final few years. But when it came to derbies, you could never rule them out. And even last season, when they played in December, and you know Spurs were very much the team on the up then. But Arsenal won at home, and it was quite a convincing win. And there's that element of Spursiness, maybe. But when it comes to derbies, yeah, Spurs haven't really found their feet, which we'll just we'll discuss in a bit. It's it is a tricky one. You you don't want to get too carried away either way. But you can imagine, you know, all the all the phone ins, all the back pages. If a team does lose this on Sunday, then it's going to be all about them rather than the winners. That's just, you know, that's how we look at football now. But that's kind of how the starts have been. And, you know, if if it were to be Spurs who lost, they wouldn't have won a game since the opening weekend. And if it's Arsenal, then it will go back to the criticism they were getting at the end of last season when they lost in the Europa League final and suddenly it was open season and they had all this work to do. They've done a bit of that in the summer. But, yeah, at the moment, you know, there's understandably still finding their feet. When you look at derby games, and obviously so much of it is decided by your mentality and your, and your kind of mental attitude that you take into these games, anyone that's watched derby games over the years would say that they're not always the best football in spectacles in terms of chances created or fantastic football that's played. It's normally decided by a decision, a set piece, players that are able to set themselves up and see out a 1-0 or hold on to a point or, or something like that. Do you think there's a case to say that uh, the way that Arsenal have been playing so far this season, that when you look at the names on that Tottenham team sheet, they seem to have a bit more character and more characters in that team to win it? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, it's always been the sure. criticism of Arsenal, hasn't it, that they don't have leaders? Yeah. You know, it was this I don't big really think kind that's of. Changed. Well, I don't think so, but I think, you know, you look at perhaps David Luiz, who they signed. I know he's a very controversial character. People seem to have, you know, Marmite opinions, if you like, about him. But. He's definitely he was definitely brought into that defence to offer some kind of leadership and some kind of you know presence, and we definitely didn't see it at Anfield last week when he pulled back Mo Salah and conceded the penalty. But this is David Luiz. Sometimes you get a, a barnstorming performance where he can turn a game for you and and really inspire everyone on. And sometimes he does that. So perhaps they're trying to address that issue if it ever was an issue. That's what, like you say about David Luiz um, being Marmite with people it's almost like he is on the pitch as well he tends to be um, yeah, really awful yeah. or really great and people tend to love him or hate him I actually quite like him and I think it is because he oh, of, he is a character <laughs> and I think I think it is the character side He's of him He's a caricature that's what he is Yeah, yeah definitely but do you think going back to what you were saying earlier Sam you've got me thinking now do you think that is it going to be on both teams' minds that losing this game will have a bigger impact than you know than other games do you think that, that it might make them a bit more tentative a bit more bit more nervous a bit more reserved I, I don't know because it's not been a disaster for either of them I think both teams will be because you know I was listening to the radio on the way back from Bournemouth last weekend and Robbie Savage was saying teams knew when he was at Leicester and they had a bad start they were looking around the dressing room going this is going to be a difficult season and I don't think it's going to be anywhere near that obviously for either of these teams but I think they will they will know 
they will know that, oh, you know, we're still finding our feet. But I don't think they're going to go into it worrying about getting beat because it's too early for that. Um, they'll, they'll know that, you know, there's still things they need to work on. There's still individual players um, jelling into the team. I don't, I think it's, I think it's too early. And then no, neither club are really near crisis mode to worry about that too much. Like, just to go off on a bit of a tangent, I wouldn't be surprised if a few United players were maybe thinking that ahead of Southampton. Maybe not, but it's one of those where if United were to lose at Southampton, then that would be a, what's going on here? We haven't got any depth, blah, blah, blah. I don't think Arsenal or Spurs have problems like that. And Yeah, I just think there will be scrutiny on whichever team loses, if there is a loser, but I don't think they'll be too worried by that going into it. I think, you know, footballers, again, going, going on about cliches, Footballers do take it one game at a time. And they Where's will our be, cliche they will be bell? Focusing, Where's that yeah, cliche bell we've had on the show this week? I've been searching around on the floor to pass it over to Nat and I can't find it, but they do. It would be, it'd be broken, I think, by now. Yeah. Right, thanks, Jed. So we're going to find out as well um, the opinion now of Chris Darwin. And Chris runs an incredible website called Total Football Analysis. Good evening, Chris. Chris, Unai Emery has defended his uh, formation that Arsenal played against Liverpool last weekend. Do you think he's going to stick with it or do you think he'll make some changes for, for, the, for the Spurs game? Well, Emery doesn't, like, doesn't seem to like doing the same thing twice. So I think he will probably mix it up again against Spurs. But I actually don't think he should. Uh, Spurs have got a very physical midfield, especially if they look to play Ndombele and, and Sissoko in there. And Arsenal are probably going to need a bit of physicality in there themselves to be able to compete with that. And not having the biggest, strongest midfield um, at Arsenal, they're probably going to have to go for numbers in there to, uh, to, to overpower Spurs. But as I said, I don't actually think um, Emery will look to line up the same way against, uh, against Spurs he did against Liverpool. Because at the end of the day, they lost 3-0. And typically, if Emery's got a beating, he, he tends to make changes. And obviously, when you look at that performance... Uh, Arsenal, we, we spoke about it on the podcast last week. Arsenal have a real kind of mental hangover from Anfield. How much of the result was due to that, and how much of it was to be uh, attributed to being kind of outthought and outfought by by Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool? Well, to, to be fair to Arsenal last weekend, and I'm not going to go all Gary Neville here and sort of give them a, a patronising pat on the head for for putting some effort in for once. Yeah. Uh, Please don't go all Gary time. Neville on us. No, but um, but I, you, there was a lot of sense in in Emery's game plan up at Anfield. The fact is that Liverpool are a better side um, than than Arsenal at the moment by a long way. And in Pepe and Aubameyang, they they got two players up there with a lot of pace. And to be fair, had Pepe scored the uh, the chance that he created himself on the break, then look, I'm not saying that Arsenal would have gone on and won the game, but it certainly wouldn't have looked like the all dominating Liverpool performance that the statistics now suggest that it was. So, so I, 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 I don't know. I think uh, the, it was a better performance by Arsenal in, 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 uh, in Liverpool for the first time in a long time. There's still a long way to go, but it uh, equally wasn't as bad as some people are making now. It's a bit of a strange one for Spurs at the moment, isn't it? Because we, I think we've come to know them as such a settled, settled team. Obviously, last summer, didn't buy any players. That was the whole narrative around them. But at least we knew what to expect from them. But now... Don't know if Ericsson's going to play. I think well, Ndombele is probably going to be injured. Pochettino said Lochelso isn't isn't quite there in terms of being ready yet. So it's it's a really it's a kind of chaotic game, isn't it? I mean, I I personally have no idea which way it's going to go. I can't really I, I can't work out who's going to come on top. I don't know what to expect from Spurs at the moment, which is not something I've said for a long time, really. 
I, th I think that's fair. I mean, if you go into any derby game, it's it's often quite difficult to predict anyway because just the, the fact that it's the two massive rivals going head-to-head -head and form without sounding like a walking cliche does tend to go out of the, uh, the window a, a, a bit. But with Spurs being in this in this transitional phase, yeah, de definitely. I mean, they don't look like a team that's gelling yet, whereas before, even when they've lost someone like Harry Kane, they... They're so settled in their plan B because of the the lack of options, and sometimes the lack of options can be a can be a benefit to a coach that they they don't have to overthink their team selections, and and you do get more settled. So at the moment they're having to to integrate new players, but also they've got the question marks over the players that are allegedly unhappy and might be moving on, and then you've got the players who want to be in the side but aren't quite ready yet. So. The, uh, I don't, a, a North London derby always comes along at a good time because it's a good game for the for the punter to watch. But for, for Pochettino, he probably would rather this wasn't coming along right now because of the, the, the fractious nature of his team. And what's your feeling about Harry Kane at the minute, Chris? We, there's been a lot of debate, maybe for about 18 months now, about his position. He seems to be dropping a lot deeper, especially against teams that defend deep themselves. Do, do Spurs need to have him further up the pitch in order to be more effective? Personally, I think not. But then against uh, Arsenal at the weekend, possibly. And what I mean by that is that Spurs play their best when they're creating space in behind for, for the runners to go into. Now, Harry Kane isn't a runner. I mean, he's very good at what he does. He's, he's brilliant when he gets into the penalty area. But he's actually an incredibly underrated player when he, when he drops in short and starts to play in sort of more of a, of a number 10 position. Now, if he's doing that and he's got the likes of Son or Lucas Moura or whoever, Lamella, running in behind him, then that gives him the options there to play. And if we're going into a period for Spurs where Christian Eriksen is either out of favour for obvious reasons or he might even be leaving, Spurs do need somebody to, to link that game up a, a little bit more. Obviously, Eriksen came, uh, came off the bench against Villa and, and changed the game, but Spurs didn't have Son playing, so Kane didn't have the sort of player to be able to then play the ball into. And one thing we do know with Harry Kane is that that he will, when he's got the chances himself, take a lot of the chances that, that come his way, and he does seem to know how to get back into the box uh, at the right time as well. He's he's a much more intelligent footballer than than people tend to give him credit for. Uh, so, but against Arsenal, um, I would imagine that Arsenal are going to look to sit deep. If, if they do play in a similar style to how they played at Anfield, they're going to look to sit in deep. Spurs haven't got the quickest centre-backs in, in the world, certainly not quick on the turn. So I'd imagine they'll drop deep and try and draw Spurs up the pitch and then again look to hit Aubameyang and, um, and, and Pepe on the, on the break in behind. Chris, obviously when you look at a game like this and, and derby games, particularly North London derbies, there's, there's lots of intensity and it'll be a white hot atmosphere at the Emirates this weekend. I, I do get this sense speaking to Arsenal fans, speaking to Tottenham fans that, as Sam said before, no one can really can really call this. I suppose if you if you had to nail your colours to the mast on this one and you had to to pull a prediction out of the bag, what, what are you thinking when you look at the, the respective starts to the season that they've both had? Where would you go in terms of a prediction for this? I think it's the kind of game that because of the form they're both in, neither team wants to lose. So I, th I think there'll be an element of that. I think uh, it would make sense for Arsenal to let Spurs have a lot of the ball and try and maintain a lot of shape. I'm actually going for 1-1, one, one, um, and that's me sitting entirely on the fence uh, because, again, it is, it is too difficult to, to call, really. There's no clear winner in this game, but I would go as far as saying the Spurs will probably score from a set piece. Lovely. Thank you. Thank you for your time so much, Chris. We really appreciate it, and we will speak to you again very soon. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. 
Right, Chris has given us his prediction. He is going for a one-all draw. So let's just do a quick whiz around the studio. I'm actually going to semi-copy, but think there's going to be more goals. I'm going to go a two-all draw. I'm going to go with, because I think Arsenal is slightly stronger at home than the kind of perception is. I'm going to say 2-1 to Arsenal. I'm going to say two on Spurs, actually. And I think. Uh, and Kane, Kane always, he's got a good record in these games. Yeah. And, you know, Chris was talking about, well, we were all talking about how good he is, really. Um, and, you know, he's not gone away. Um, yeah. I, it's it's a knife edge game. It could go either way, but I'm going to go with Spurs, and I think Kane will, like, could well get both of them in, in that 2 1 win. I'm going to go one all. I think Arsenal to take the lead and then kind of try and cling on, cling on, and then eventually. As Sam said, probably Kane will pop up in the last 20 minutes and, and get a point for Tottenham. Wow, we've really covered it all, haven't we? Two draws, <laughs> one Tottenham, one Arsenal, fence-sitting from the studio in all its glory. Um, so we're going to move on now and look at another game that's taking place this weekend, um, and that is that Newcastle are playing Watford at home. And Newcastle, obviously, have had a fair shift in confidence um, from their their win against Tottenham last weekend. And then on the other sort of side, uh, Javi Garcia's Watford are yet to win this season. Now, we've already started talking about... Is it too early for teams to start panicking and be nervous? But is it too early going into the fourth game of the season to be talking about sackings? Is, is that ridiculous? Or is it fair to say that if Watford lose again this weekend, that Garcia might be in trouble? Uh, well, I was I was reading a piece by a colleague the other day about Watford. And he was saying last Saturday, obviously, when they, when they lost again... Um, there was nothing. There was no chat in the boardroom. Obviously, they've got through. Was it ten managers at Watford in seven years? Which is a hell of a lot, obviously. Um, but apparently, they they've not been discussing it. And you know, Watford played Coventry in the in the Carabao Cup in midweek, and the fans were chanting for for Javier Garcia to stay. So, I mean, it, there's always got to be one favourite because it's always around this time of year we start thinking who's going to be the first manager sacked. And in recent years, there's been a few early ones. Or like, a couple of years ago, there was obviously a, a Palace, and everyone kind of thinks oh, it's about time for somebody to go because that's what we've got used to. But if it's not going to be Gracia, there's nobody else to talk talk about really in that sense. Steve Bruce, obviously, Perhaps. they're going up against each other. He's bought himself a bit of time. <laughs> so I, from what I've read this week, I I can't see Gracia going. Obviously, you know, they've lost the first three. They finished last season poorly, obviously got to the FA Cup final, but that was a, a washout for them as well. But it doesn't, it doesn't sound like he's going to get sacked. But obviously, they have got problems. No one will believe me. No one's going to believe me, but... I was going to put Javi Gracia as to win the sack race in my predictions oh! for the independent, but then changed it to Steve Bruce for, I, you know, no one, <laughs> I don't expect anyone to sit here and believe what I'm saying. It's Steve Bruce on the website, but believe me, I was going to put Javi Gracia um, because because they finished last season poorly, and you find often, you know, managers who might have a good cut run get to the FA Cup final. There's a little bit of a, a good mood around the club. Supporters tend to remember that, but. The board are going to be looking at the bottom line, and they're going to be looking at the Premier League. I think it is far too early to act now. Uh, they, you know, I, there was some whispers saying that last week he was close. I think they decided against that, and I would still be slightly surprised if you know there was a bad result this week and then and he did get the chop. But you have to look at the overall trend, and the overall trend is downward from Watford since they had that brilliant start at the start of last season. He got that new contract, didn't he, on the back of that? Mm. Was it in what in November? Got. Is it a five-year contract yeah. with the option for three more, so potentially it's an eight-year eight. deal. Yeah. Wow! I think um, the, it's going to be a party situation. Maybe. <laughs> I think the key, the key difference when key difference, sorry, when you look at the two sides is the issue of fans. We we chatted about it a couple of weeks ago in that Newcastle fans didn't want Steve Bruce. They've been quite clear on that, despite the fact that he's got the first win of the season under under his belt at Tottenham. 
there's not any warmth from Newcastle fans towards Steve Bruce. I think the best case scenario for him is they're accepting of the situation and they realise that it isn't his fault that Mike Ashley still runs the club and, and they're having to deal with all these off-the-pitch off issues. But as Sam said, Javi Garcia has got one huge thing that Bruce doesn't, which is fan base support. Watford fans are looking at a situation with Garcia. He got them to a cup final last season. He's been probably the most consistent slash successful Watford manager for some time. And, and by that, I mean getting them to a cup final, putting them in the conversation for a Europa League qualification spot. So I think it'll be interesting to see how this works out because Bruce will continue to be under pressure. Newcastle are not going to rock it up the table, but whether he stays kind of lower mid-table or not, he's going to continue to be under pressure. Whereas Gracia knows, at least for some some period of time now, maybe possibly even up as far as Christmas, the fans will be with him, whether the ownership are or not. But that is an enormous help you get the sense that Bruce is almost fighting the tide. What do you think Steve Bruce actually has to do to get the fans on side? Is there anything that he can achieve this season that will buy him the fans? Kill Mike Ashley, maybe? (laughs) 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 Maybe not kill. I mean, to be honest, Benitez was really popular. Benitez is always good at winning over fans. Well, he... Well, it either goes, it goes one way or the other, doesn't it? He's either a disaster he tends to do or well they those, end up loving him. Yeah, he tends to do well in like cities like Liverpool or Napoli yeah. where, you know, there's a, a big supporter culture like, like in Newcastle. Yeah, exactly. So, but, I mean, in terms of their finishes, it was a low bar because everybody appreciated it was difficult to be Newcastle manager. He didn't have a lot to work with. You know, he had players sold and he didn't get the ones he wanted. But that's going to be the same for Steve Bruce. So if he can finish, I don't know, 14th, 12th, something like that, they'll be like, well... He was at least no worse than what Benitez was doing. And that would, you know, they wouldn't. I don't think they'd be calling him for him to be sacked. And I don't think he's seen as like a Mike Ashley shill, which is what's done for previous, not necessarily managers, but you know, when like Dennis Wise was there and yeah. obviously Kinnear. But. I, think, um, I think the big question about clubs like Newcastle and Watford, and it's one we're kind of touching on here, is ambition. Now, you know, I'm not saying that Watford are an unambitious club. I think, the, you know, the, the rise over the last few years proves, you know, it proves the opposite, if anything. But there's a fan base in Newcastle that demand their team be, that, you know, they, they believe their rightful place is in the, in the probably qualifying for the Champions League like they were, say, 15 years ago. So, and the level, that level of expectation, does the Premier League necessarily cater for that anymore? Can these clubs actually rise up through the ranks? I think that's the question that probably Newcastle fans need to ask themselves. Although I understand why, you know, Rafa, because of his name and because of his prestige and because of his track record, they at least got to feel like, oh, well, we're a continental team again. You know, we, we've got this great manager that's come from yeah, Europe, yeah, won yeah, European yeah. Cups. Um, so that's, you know, this is the kind of internal battle that they need to kind of settle within themselves. When you look at the situation for, for both managers, and, and obviously Nat touched on it before when you were saying about um, who could be sacked? Is it right that we're having this conversation? Is it too early to be talking about managers being sacked? From a from a club's point of view, if if either of them was to be sacked in the next week or the next couple of weeks after the international break, the argument would be very clear. Of you know, we, we all remember the Frank de Boer situation with Crystal Palace. We have to react now. You know, we don't want to be three months down the line and then it's it's too far gone. Do clubs have a have a case in them situations? I think, look, like. With the with the De Boer situation, I think it got to the point where you've lost that many games. I I always thought that Palace could have turned that around, but it's whether they can turn that around by keeping that manager in place. You know, I remember when they actually sacked him, people were saying, "Well, it doesn't actually matter because they relegated anyway." Mm. But it's eight games, and if you you know three points while the rest of the teams at the bottom of the division lose or draw, you're going to make up a lot of ground. So, 
I, I think sometimes it's worth wielding the axe early, if you like. But uh, I, I think four games is a, is a little too you know early for me. Yeah, and I don't. Maybe I'll put too much stock in this about Watford, but it doesn't. It doesn't actually seem from from what I've read anyway that he is as close as people speculate him to be to the sack. And I don't think Bruce is going to be either. Obviously, that was one of the early favourites because of the whole situation and maybe his record and Newcastle's problems. But you know, winning at winning at Spurs has bought him, bought him a lot of time. Um, they've got this. This game is it's not make or break, but it's a good op, you know it's a good opportunity. It's a it's not a six pointer, but you know maybe five points. Uh, if you allow me to bend that metaphor slightly, um, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I yeah, it's not quite a cliche because I've <laughs> I've broken it a bit. Where is that like bell? bell? We need the it's bell. Not a cliche. It's not a cliche. It's it's never been used before ever. So it can't be a cliche. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Just just this talk about sacking. It, it can't. It's just a bit morbid because I think that's how we look at teams who aren't doing well after three or four games. Because no. like the divorce situation, we're used to a manager going early, um, but. I don't think anybody's crossed that threshold yet. And, you know, the teams, they've they both got new players bedding in. Uh, Deeney's obviously out for Watford. So he, he's obviously been a big a big player and a big character for them. De La Feo hasn't started the season well. Um, Ducore could have moved but didn't. So that, you know, fair to say that could affect his performances for a bit. Presumably that will level out again. But they've got uh, Ismaili Saar um, coming in. So by all accounts, really good. Um, was it first start the other night against Coventry? Yeah, and he scored as well. Yeah. And he scored. Um, so, I mean, that will help in terms of the general mood. Um, obviously, Newcastle as well. They've got uh, Joel Linton, who, who scored last weekend. Al Miran is a funny player because he, he, came with this, he came with this good reputation for being good. Um, and I was all for it. And, it, and he is. You know, he's, he's, he's got that kind of maverick quality that a team like Newcastle would really appreciate. Mm. Um, he plays well for Paraguay, but I'm still yet to see him do anything really good at Newcastle. Maybe that's you know maybe that's because of the the environment he's in. Obviously, he is quite creative and relatively more creative than most of the other Newcastle players. But I'm still waiting for you know for him to really take it to the not not even ne- the next level, but just a consistently good level. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Saint Maximin is injured as well, so you can see why they've you know they've got new players to bed in. They lost Perez, obviously. And Rondon, they've got new players in to replace them, but they haven't quite had the time to to bed in. So, you know, these clubs, you'd think they are realistic. We're talking about Spurs and Arsenal earlier in the dressing room, these players know that, you know, they've these this is this this is natural in football. These these things take time to gel. So let's do a little whiz round, a quick prediction. Watford haven't won a league game since April, haven't kept a clean sheet since February. Has that just totally jinxed Newcastle saying that? What do we all think? What's your score predictions? I just think this is it's definitely not going to be one to watch. I think this is almost tailor-made to be last game or match of the day this weekend. I just I can't see Watford. I just think the situation they're in. I, I'm not saying that Newcastle are, are any great shakes, and the Tottenham performance was was good from a defensive point of view, but Tottenham didn't really test them. So one nil Newcastle. I, I, I'm going to go for. I'm going to go two one Watford. Just Ooh. because. Just because I think that what you saw from Steve Bruce last week Newcastle it's, it, it was kind of them it was, you know muscle memory you know when you do a certain thing so often that you just know they knew how to sit back and defend yeah, against exactly. Spurs yeah. you know because they've been doing that on the Rafa for years was it like 20% possession or something so, yeah exactly yeah. so they're, they're perfectly suited to that kind of game this although is Steve Bruce was telling them to push up towards the end which I thought well, that's going to confuse them that shows how much he knows maybe <laughs> exactly <laughs> but yeah yeah it, yeah I, I mean I was thinking that you know it, but obviously being at home you can't just go and do that can you and so that's where there's going to be that's where there's going to be problems and where 
Watford might have a bit of joy. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Watford won either. Give us a score. Go on. Uh, 3-1, because it's a funny... 3-1 sa- to yeah. Watford. Nice. I mean, I don't, okay. I don't really see it being that one-sided, but it's a funny yeah. stage of the season. and You know, goals can go in anywhere, so why not? I'm going for a um, steady one-all again. So we have split it in the studio. So we've got a draw and a win to each side in the studio. Right, we're going to take a little break now. We'll be back in a second where we will be previewing the rest of this weekend's games. And we're also going to have a little chat about robot refs. Football Social Daily Premier League Preview Football Social Daily Get daily news and updates on your team via your Amazon Alexa Just ask Alexa Open Sports Social Welcome back to Football Social Daily, the only daily Premier League podcast. And don't forget, you can get daily Premier League team updates from us now via your Amazon Alexa. Daily team news, match reports and live scores for whoever you support. Just say Alexa, open sports social and choose what you want to hear. And um, if you do that, you're going to maybe recognise the lovely (laughs) semi-high-pitched female voice that speaks back at you. So apologies there. But yes, welcome back. We are now going to go on to look at all the other Premier League games that are taking place this weekend. But we're going to start off in the exciting world of Crystal Palace. And the slight sarcasm in my voice there might be a little bit unfair because, of course, Crystal Palace got that incredible result last weekend against United. Now, our lovely producer Fergal here has pulled up a stat which has astounded me, but which Mark quickly pulled me back down to (laughs) earth. So the stat that, that, that we have found is that only Pep and Klopp have more points in the Premier League since February 2019 than our lovely Roy. It's 30 points from 17 games for Crystal Palace, which will put them in third. Now, I was completely and utterly astounded by this fact. And then Mark just ripped (laughs) the carpet from under me. What did you tell me, Mark? Well, it is true. There's nothing wrong with the stat. It's absolutely true. But they're 15 points behind Liverpool in second and they're only five points off 11th. So there's a big fatberg, if you like, of teams right beneath them <laughs> where, you know, if it, say, say they hadn't won at, at Old Trafford on uh, Saturday, then, you know, they'd be right in that pack with them. So, you know, while, yes, they are the third best since whenever, sometime in February, it's not quite all that it seems, maybe. I still love the stat. And it's a bit arbitrary, isn't it? All, all these, <laughs> yeah. Oh, since February. What happened exactly, in February? Yeah. What happened in in January. If you go to January, they, the stats don't work. Yes. I can't remember what happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, what do, you, what, do you, what do you make of Palace then this season? They've got Villa this weekend. I think they've been very, very boring for want, for want of a better word. I think when you go right from the beginning, the, the, the Everton game on the opening day of the season, neither side really covered themselves in glory. Um, obviously, it was all framed as the kind of weird by proxy Wolf Zahar derby where he came on and it was a little bit of a tense situation. Then the Sheffield United game where he started, the fans gave him quite a good reception from from anyone that I spoke to that was at Bramall Lane. But it it just doesn't really seem to be clicking. And I am going to agree with, with Mark here. And th- this is the point where I say that thanks to Mark pouring a bit of cold water on this, this was actually Niall's stat. Oh, so throw I'm, the stats I'm, around. I'm, 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 I'm bowing out at this stage <laughs> and, and, and never listening to Niall again. Um, but yeah, I just think when you look at the way that, I think the issue for them is the way that they play. Um, I can't really see them getting hammered in too many games this season, conceding three, four, five goals. I think they're going to have a real issue scoring goals. When you look at their midfield, other than Luka Milivojevic with a fantastic record from penalties, they don't really look to have players in midfield that are going to break forward and score goals. You've got 
James MacArthur and James McCarthy. I can't really see them getting, you know, five, six, seven goals. And even in attack, when you look at the likes of Jordan Ayew, who's who's scored this season, but he's not he's not going to be consistent. So much of it hangs on Wilf Sahar. He clearly doesn't want to be there anymore. If a bid comes in for him in January, you get the firm impression that he's gone. If Crystal Palace are in a situation where they're potentially in a relegation battle by that stage and he goes and the move gets forced through, you can see them falling right through the trapdoor. I agree. Mm. I think um, Palace are a weird team. They're, they're such a weird team because I was there at Old Trafford on Saturday and to be honest, I went in and I wasn't, again, you're not going to believe me, but I went in <laughs> thinking this is a game that they could win because it's typically we've seen them. I think there's another stat. Okay, get ready for this. Yeah, go on. I know what you're going to say. Oh, go on. No, no, oh, I've got it too. We've all got it. I think they're the last team. I'm going to get this wrong because it's just come to, come to my head. They're the last team to win at Old Trafford, at the Etihad, at the Emirates and at Anfield. Never. That's not games. the one I had, but that's a cool okay. stat. Okay, well, yeah, that's true, apparently. So uh, they, they are a team that tends to perform well big away days because, you know, they can pack the defence, they can sit tight and break at speed. Um whether that's going it to be really enough. shouldn't be that simple, should it? Well, but it is no, apparently so, <laughs> especially at Old Trafford. But um, yeah, so I, they're also, I, I think, uh, last season I remember doing a piece about them. They they picked up more points away from home than they did at home. Yeah, now yeah. that's the stat I've got. Right, okay. uh, last season, Hodgson's Palace side were sixth in terms of away form in the Premier League. Yeah, but at Selhurst Park, they sat a lowly eighteenth. There you go. This is what I was talking about with Newcastle earlier as well. There's different expectations, mm. especially with like with you know. Palace are known to have good fans, and you know, and the when there's an atmosphere like that, obviously they had a few problems with the fans last year and relocating them and all that kind of thing. But when you got a good atmosphere, the players kind of think we should be doing a bit more than this, and you know, there's more of an obligation to go and attack. But obviously, the other team they're sitting back, and it's harder to break them down because you have, like you mentioned, like we've all mentioned, they haven't got a lot of goals in them. Yeah, but they can go away from home, and they they can be the ones sitting back. They can hit on the break, and it makes complete sense that. That that's the case. I, I wouldn't be surprised, actually. We should find out for the next show how many teams in the Premier League are better away from home than they are at home. Oh, well, oh there must be a few. There must was, be a few. They, so they were the only team last season that picked up more points away than oh. at home. But, <laughs> but I, know, I know what you mean. I meant in Europe. Mark is just ruining people <laughs> left, right and centre yeah. in this studio. We don't make sense. Figure out why you invite me on there. Okay. So what about on the other side of, of um, oh. the pitch this weekend? We've got Aston Villa, obviously. Bit of a spring in their step as well after their great victory against Everton. So what are we making of them so far? I, I mentioned right at the start of the season that I was concerned that they'd do a bit of a Fulham. When you look at the investment, the players they brought in, um, they haven't really looked to keep that many components from the championship side that got them up. Obviously, they brought Tyrone Mings in on a permanent deal, but other than him, it's only really Jack Grealish and John McGinn that are, that are playing regularly. You can you can see the entire front four or front five of the team changing over the summer based on the players that Dean Smith's brought in. That takes time. Betting in of those players takes time. Um, I think the win against Everton last weekend was a bit of a free hit. It was set up nicely for them. The lights, the Friday night lights at, at Villa Park, Everton kind of a little bit hit and miss so far this season. It, it was a case of Dean Smith saying to his Villa players, if there's ever going to be a, a relatively comfortable three points for you, here it is. Go and take it and, and, and go and finish the job. And they did. Um, the issue for them, I think, is going to be knitting these players together. There's there's real talent in that team. The players they brought in, I was very impressed with Wesley against Everton the other night. I think he finally kind of came to life uh, after a bit of a quiet start to, to life in the Premier League. And I think that's that's going to be that's going to be it for them. Jack Grealish is obviously key for them. Is he going to step up when they really, really need him? The, the back end of the season when they're likely to be 
mid to, to lower to lower table? Is he going to be someone that's going to put in performances and score goals and, and drive the rest of the team on to ensure that they don't get sucked into the bottom three? That remains to be seen. So it's it's a difficult one to gauge with them because they're still very much an unknown quantity due to the fact that they've brought in, I think it's over £150 million, pounds, correct me if I'm wrong, there or thereabouts. That's big money to be to be spending for a team that's just been promoted. Yeah, Hotter's similar to Wesley. Like you say, he kind of came out of his shell against Everton. But even when they lost at home to Bournemouth, um, you know, they gave away a stupid penalty and there was a massive deflection. But I think if you look at the the dreaded uh, expected goals, they were pretty. I think they were pretty even with Bournemouth. They might have even shaded it. Um, I hate those expected goals, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot you, of naff stats around can, lately. Well, the thing is, you can lean on it a bit too much, but I do think it's instructive, um, and I do think. Like, sorry to go on about City Spurs, but we mentioned it beforehand. And if you looked at the expected goals in that game, it was like 4-0 or something like that, which, was like, mm, which is yeah. mad for expected goals and how it all works. I mean, if people, if people don't know what it is, listening briefly, it's, you know, they, they work out the figure by, at the end of the game based on each shot, um, the, the position of where it is on the pitch, and they rate each chance in terms of quality, and then they kind of add those up. I think, was it between... Not on one for every chance, so you get chances yeah. like if it's not point eight, there's a high percentage chance yeah. you should score it's that. Very high, yeah. So, at, so at the end, like so, I think this Villa Bournemouth game was was like one point seven to Villa really? and two point one to Bournemouth. So very small differences, that kind of thing. I, I know it's like it's very technical. <laughs> you see my face right now. I know it's very technical. Yeah, I mean, I, I I do think it's kind of it is easy to lean on too much, and it's not perfect, but I do think it's better than saying. They had so and so many shots on target, yeah, or they yeah. had this much possession. I think it does help show the flow of the game better. And you know, Bournemouth, Bournemouth are the kind of team that you know they've been in the Premier League for a long time. But the results against them kind of, kind of factor in, kind of, kind of illustrate where teams like Villa are. And while they lost, and it was their first home game, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a result or it wasn't a performance that you'd just write off and say, "I'm not really having Villa this season," because. Overall, they were they were quite good. I think um, with Villa, we're talking about they spent all this money. The fact of the matter is that they had to spend all this money because it wasn't just that they were bringing a championship squad up. They were bringing basically an empty championship squad. They got promoted with a lot of lone players. Um, they needed replacing. And the question is really whether the likes of um, there's a Trezor Gay and Wesley, like you say, they're, they're all kind of unknown quantities. And I, th- I really think it's a mixed bag at the minute. Um, I think Sam's right. I think we've, the games that we've seen so far could have gone either way. So, and yeah. ironically, though, wasn't the Douglas Louise goal from about thirty yards out? Yeah. So that would be very low <laughs> yeah. on the XG. On yeah. the XG it should have been nil nil, is what we're saying. But um, yeah, I think I think Villa is still again three games. I don't know if we can make any real, you know, big calls about them. I, I'd, I'd only say that the fact that they're playing Palace away from home helps because we all know Palace are rubbish at home. Apparently, Villa are rubbish at playing at Palace was another dodgy stat oh, I've just right, seen okay. but I'm not even reading it out because some seriously dodgy stats going around right quick whiz round of a prediction there Fergal uh, oh god um, oh. yeah I think oh, draw score draw one all I, again I just think this is going to be filed under not the most exciting I still think Villa are, are waiting to get into gear and as Matt mentioned before Palace are absolutely brilliant at just sitting in, being compact, being tight, whether that's at Sellhouse or whether that's away, I think I think they play quite similar home and away. I don't think they're particularly free-flowing even even at home. So, yeah, one all I'm going for. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Villa are going to win. I'm going to say 1-0. One 1-0 one to there Villa? Yeah. Sam? 2-0 uh, Villa. 
Oh, I'm going Palace. Gosh, we, we're really splitting it around this table, I think. It's two... almost as if none of us have got any ideas. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's almost as if I'm waiting to see what you lot say. 2-1, I am going to say to Palace. So now from the se- semi, I was, I was going to say serious, but it was semi-serious talk that we've been having right across the other end of the spectrum to the silly. We're going to take a little break for a second and hear from Jim from the left side, who wants to talk about robot refs. FIFA have set up a special department to look at the possibility of replacing matchday officials with robots. The governing body in their ongoing attempts to ruin the game as much as possible for everyone is looking to replace linesmen in the game with new technological innovations, which is kind of cool, but also kind of terrifying. Everything I know about robots is taken pretty much from sci-fi movies, so in that scenario, there are two types of robots. There's the funny, childlike good ones that make people laugh, like R2-D2 and BB-8 in Star Wars and Johnny Five in Short Circuit. Oh, I get it. And then there's the other type, whose sole purpose is basically to destroy humanity. The Terminator robots, the evil Decepticons from Transformers, Howl from 2001. You get the idea. The 9000 series is the most reliable computer ever made. So when we're talking about linesmen, I think there's a pretty good chance that it could fall into the latter category. Maybe the brand new linesman robots that FIFA want to introduce will in fact be modelled on the ED-209 defence robot from Robocop. You must move the defensive wall two more yards. You have 20 seconds to comply. It would certainly help cut out all that nasty referee back chat. Or maybe, instead of that, they should just go straight for the Terminator model here. A robo-ref who can go back through time, putting right those decisions that were once got wrong and terminating the root cause of poor officiating. If that's the case, anybody called Mike Dean needs to be very concerned. Hello? Mike Dean? Yes? You can find more from On The Left Side in our weekly podcast. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So it seems unbelievable that FIFA are actually considering robot refs, but... uh, Right, lads, here's a tough one. If you could introduce one piece of technology to improve football or your football experience... What would it be? Any ideas? Because I'm immediately thinking of like a robot bringing me a drink, a pie, <laughs> a packet of sweets, like in the middle of a game. Yeah, like Amazon delivery drones. Oh, yeah. to your seat. Well, yeah. they've got uh, Uber Eats in, in Ligue 1 this season bringing, oh, the, bringing yeah, the ball on. The ball out, yeah. yeah. I mean, it is going that way, isn't it? It yeah. is a bit of Black Mirror. <laughs> and I mean, obviously, I'm, I want to say as well, video assistant refereeing that actually works would be nice. Be but um, I'm desperately trying to stay away from talking about VAR today. Yeah, I mean, Mark, you're not you're not really having the whole idea of reviews, like in like in terms of you can a manager can say, oh, "I want to challenge that," like in cricket, for example, yeah, or tennis. I, I think that's good. But tell me why I'm the only thing wrong that I think with that is that you have the potential then for a manager to 
perhaps spend a rev- we already see a lot of time wasting basically say you've saved up your reviews you're hanging on to a one nil like at old trafford and your crystal palace for example or two one or whatever last week and you've got a review that you could use and you throw your little towel into the ring or whatever it's going to be then you know i i that's why i, I don't think that system is tell is not without its flaws i think it just there'd be more just as you know we'd be talking about different controversies i think the, the way to sort out var that i would say is that the referee uses it when he's not certain himself of a decision. I think that's the only way that it can work without total interference of the game. But we didn't want to talk about that. We wanted to talk about... Yeah, give us something silly. Okay. Say you want a robot giving you a massage during the game or something. <laughs> uh, well, that would be nice. I'm not against it. <laughs> Is there anything silly? What about virtual reality? Well, it's not really silly. But I've had a go, I've had a go at virtual reality. There's a, comp- well, there's a lot of companies, but a company in Manchester... They've done it with um, Bristol City, Hull. I think there's the equipment at United. I think City have used it. And I've had a go. And like, it's really good because it can like quantify how good like a player's spatial awareness is. Because, you know, if you're, okay, seven, yeah. if you're 17, but you're like five foot two, they're like, well, you're too small. You can't really tell. You can't really quantify sure. how good he is, at, you know, the kind of spatial awareness and reactions and that kind of thing. But with this, so you put the, the headset on and you're in, you're in a room, so you're not going to fall over or bump into stuff. And you got to look over your shoulder and you got to see how many people are... This is just one example, but there's like three people closing in on you, two of them are red, one of them is yellow, and you've you've been told beforehand you've got to kick the ball into the goal that corresponds with the number and the colour. So you need to find yeah. the goal that's yellow with a one on it. And obviously all this is happening in a split second and, you know, that changes every time. So there's that. But also I think from a fan experience, because, like, the graphics are bad, so this is going to be in, like, four years if the planet's still going... But like the graphics are bad, it's all very simple. <laughs> so but it's kind, it's kind of like what I'd love, and maybe this is right. It's very armchair fan, and obviously I still go to enough games with this job, and I still enjoy it. But like it's like it's like Sky's old player cam, but for like the year three thousand. Yeah, and I like it. So eventually, it's going to be this virtual reality, but the technology can fit on like the player's shirt, and you can then you can put put your headset on, and it's not only like you're in the stadium and you're watching the game as if you were in the stadium, but you could watch it from the point of view of a player. You could move at their speed. You could, like, your eyes would follow what they're seeing. I mean, there might be a bit of motion sickness tablets you'd have to invent at the same oh, time. So, like, you but, could score a goal when Sergio Aguero imagine. scores. Well, this is the thing. Like, on this on this, um, on this, this virtual reality, the they they did it from, like, a coaching point of view as well because the, the game they used was City against Monaco a few years ago, and it was when Mendy was still at Monaco, and they put you in his body. And it was when Raheem Sterling got around him at the back post. So you're in his body and you move like what's happening on the virtual reality is happening at the speed that, that Mendy was running and the ball, the play was developing. So if you were a coach, you could break it down and say, look, your body position, you could tell which way they're facing. You could say, look, this is what you saw at this particular moment. And he was looking to his right. But Sterling was on his was on his left shoulder. And you can coach them properly. So I mean, you can actually you can actually do that already. But the graphics are terrible. Wouldn't so once they sort that out, really inadequate though. Like I'd just be there, like oh god. Yeah, but <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, true. You, you'd never want to be. I don't want to feel worse about myself. Yeah, than you, I already do. Yeah, so, yeah. You, you'd, you'd always want to be one of the strikers or something. But that's what I'd go for. You that kind always, of technology. I like great. it, and you can always strip it back so that say fans that are around the world or fans that aren't, um, you know, have have some, you know, a disability or in hospital that can't get to the games. Um, giving them experience as if they're sitting in a stadium. See, that's not even silly. This is actually turned yeah, into yeah. quite a... I like that idea. I just think the amount of data, as, as Sam said, that you can get to fans and get to fans as quickly as possible. We've all been sat in the pub or sat in a friend's house watching a match and, and someone's 
complaining about a player, they didn't do this or they didn't do this or they didn't run this or whatever. And it's so difficult to argue in them situations. If if you had some sort of immediate hard data, if at half time you were able to get immediate player stats on absolutely every aspect of the game, how much they'd ran, their their XG chances, their spatial awareness, wow. as Sam said before, all of these things, if you could have all of that hard data immediate and, and updating during the game I think it would add to fan experiences and it would also end oh, a I lot of know. arguments no do no? you know what I'm against you on that one because um, it really really bugs me when I see people on their phone at the football like enjoy the experience sit in the ground watch the football you don't need to be on Twitter right now you don't need to be on Facebook you don't need to be reading stats about how far somebody's run watch them running <laughs> yeah fair enough yeah yeah, I, I just I just like arguing with people in the pub, and I like to have I like to have data to hit them. <laughs> yes. Sometimes literally, sometimes not literally. With <laughs> whatever t- floats your boat, there, Virgil. <laughs> right, let's move on because we are quickly running out of time, and we have uh, the rest of the full Premier League schedule to have a quick look at. So I am going to get my stopwatch out, and I am going to limit us to one minute per game, um, and we have. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven games still to preview that we haven't previewed. So one minute per game starts now. And uh, the first game, Southampton versus United. Uh, this is, the thing is, everything kind of points towards United Crisis Club going to go and get the early kickoff, banter era, that kind of thing. But, yeah, half 12 on Saturday. But yeah, but I kind of think, I, I can just see United, it not being so bad for United. I've, I've been kind of impressed by Southampton. Yeah, so same, and like that's, that's what that ties into it. You know, they yeah. they gave Liverpool a hard game. Yeah. They, obviously, they won last weekend uh, against Brighton. Um, I think there could be a problem. I th- I don't, it could be a problem. I, I think United will still like, win. I don't feel like they will. I don't, but I don't think it's going to be a disaster. I think it's going to be like one-one, and we're just going to pass into the next yeah, international yeah, break, right. and we're still going to be having all these questions about United. So yeah, I just feel like United are going to have a season where it's just so unpredictable, and that they'll win. It's, it's, where's the where's the cliche button? They'll win some and they'll lose some, and um, <laughs> I have no idea. And they'll probably win this one. Yeah, I'd agree. I think a narrow United win. No, no, um, Ryan Bertrand or Nathan Redmond for Southampton either, which are going to be two big losses. I think United will have enough to just edge it. No Martial for United though, and no depth whatsoever. But we'll see. One minute eight that was. Close enough. <laughs> but not bad. But not bad. Right. Um, next one we have Chelsea playing Sheffield United. Um, this is an interesting one and, and I've been given a lot of praise and a lot of grief for my comments about Sheffield United at the start of the season. I'm, I'm glad to see that they're just about keeping their heads above water. Um, Chelsea have had a strange start to the season. Um, I think the result at Manchester United was a bit harsh on them. I think they deserved to lose, but they didn't deserve to lose 4-0. Um, Lampard's still finding his feet. Uh, he stuck to his guns, as he said he would do at the start of the season, by playing younger players and, and looking to play a little bit more of an expansive style. Um, the issue for Sheffield United, not just in this game, but moving forward, is, is going to be goals. Uh, Chris Wilder stuck with Callum Robinson and David McGoldrick. They haven't scored. Ollie McBurney and Billy Sharp have been the, their goal scorers off the bench so far this season. Um, I can't really see anything other than a relatively straightforward win for Chelsea, but not ready to draw the curtains on Sheffield United just yet. It might be similar. This one might be similar to United Crystal Palace last week. Because, I, I mean... Chelsea, it depends on how well they can break down a team that's going to sit back and can hit on the break. You know, Palace have already shown this season they've got a bit about them in terms of they can change it up. They can sit back, but they can play football as well. Um, I don't think they're going to go and be stupid with this. Chelsea are, are so open, there are going to be opportunities mm. to hit them on the break as well. And it, it just depends on whether they can actually um, break down Sheffield United. And like Abraham scored last week and, you know, everything's positive. But, you know, he's he's up and down. He's still learning. He He may not have a good day in front of goal and... 
they may struggle as well. Yeah, I feel like Sheffield United, I really like them. I, I've been really impressed with them and I think maybe, yeah, maybe a draw. One minute 20. Oh, <laughs> oh gosh. I'm, I'm not very good at keeping track of this, but it's because I'm enjoying what you're saying. I like Sheffield United as well. Um, I, I like the fact that they've got... Is it? I don't know if this is even if you're allowed to say this anymore that they've just got a team full of British British and Irish players. I just really like it. Um, yeah. Carry on. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yes. You're all looking at me like, don't go there, don't go there. This is not a political football. Okay. Quick. Move on. Leicester versus Bournemouth. Go. <laughs> um, this is going to be an interesting one from the point of view that Goals. Bournemouth are almost. You know, I don't know who they're going to play. They've got so many players injured, and it just keeps totting up and totting up. Charlie Daniels got injured uh, last weekend against City. He's not going to play. Um, Eddie Howe is, is scratching his head. He's probably going to have to dip into dip into his reserves and his, and his youth players. He, he changed it around for the EFL Cup tie in midweek. But I just think, yeah, they are relatively solid, and, and you know, there's there's so many things that you expect about Eddie Howe's team. But I've been impressed with Leicester so far this season. I think. Brendan Rodgers has almost kind of split his team up into zones. He's letting the front players attack. He, he's kind of let Madison have an, a, a bit more of a freer role and told him to go and play five, ten yards further up the pitch. Um, Ajoji Perez hasn't really lit it up yet, but I think he's working quite well with Jamie Vardy. They've got really good options off the bench. Harvey Be- Harvey Barnes came off the bench to, to score the winner last week. So I think Leicester are in a good place and, and moving in a really positive direction. So I'm going to go Leicester to win. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised by that. I'd... That's fair enough. I think you said goals, and I, I'd agree. I think, yeah, I can see them being goals. Yeah, the, I think Bournemouth will get sides. a goal. Yeah, Leicester have been pretty tight, actually. I've been quite impressed by how defensively well-structured they've been. But, uh, yeah, I'd say Leicester win. Yeah, Leicester win all round. Leicester looking like the team that might do it. That's the that first time we've agreed it. today. Yes, yes. Do you all fancy Leicester? Probably not going to happen, Yeah, they're getting tipped quite a lot, aren't they, yeah. to be the team that might break. into break. the top six. Yeah. yeah, I don't see it. Well, I, I do. I see what people are saying, but I, I can't see it happening. Right, and then we are moving on to City versus Brighton. A lovely Saturday, 3pm kickoff. Feels so rare at the Etihad. What do we all think? Yeah, City are going to win, aren't they? Like, almost certainly. <laughs> how, how many goals is VAR going <laughs> to steal from us, do you think? Uh, three. I said no VAR talk, didn't I? I just can't help it. <laughs> no, I'd, I'd, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's going to happen be... a lot, though, because City creates so many chances. Exactly. And they'll have so many shots. Mm, yeah, it's so it's going to keep happening. It's um, going to be a threat. But Brighton have had a couple taken off them, haven't they? They they opened mm. the scoring against West Ham and Southampton. And they got chalked off. And they yeah. both got chalked off like ages afterwards. Fine, they were both marginally mm. offside. But, you know, it, it was the kind of reaction of, we hate VAR. So Brighton are in the same kind of boat as, as City fans. But from the game point of view, I think Potter, it's important, I think, for managers going in and printing a new style on a team to go to a team like City and say, we might as well give it a go because we want to play like this. This is what we're going to do. So they're going to stick with it, you know, three at the back, trying to be a bit more expansive. You know, make some alterations maybe, but I don't think they'll park the bus too much. I could be wrong. Um, but I, fundamentally, I think whatever happens, City are going to win quite easily. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Chicken shoot, like 4 0, 5 yeah. nil, And like. an absolute penny for Lewis Duncan, Shane Duffy's thoughts the night, the night before the game. They're in for a, a hell of a busy afternoon. Florian Andoni suspended, so Glenn Murray's going to probably come back in. And that was an awful red card. He's not well, going to be. It? He's not going to be stretching Man City in behind, is he? I think it's going to be a long afternoon for Brighton. Near post corners. That's what they need. One minute ten. That wasn't too bad. That wasn't too bad. I couldn't let he's gone about City for ages as well. Um, okay, moving on to West Ham Norwich. Are West Ham really bad? I think. I, I no, think, I don't I, think so. Yeah. Well, I think they're. I think they're bad at the back. I think they're. 
we've seen so I know yeah, West Ham or West Ham some bits are terrible some bits are quite yeah, good yeah and, and it's Pellegrini and you don't quite understand what he's going for there but um, and they've also played Man City and that's what we need to remember like they've been beaten 5-0 by Man City and a lot of teams will be beaten heavily by Manchester City this season but I, I was really impressed I know he scored two last week but Haller who's come from Frankfurt I think he's going to be a real kind of breakthrough this season and uh, you saw him put away those two chances against Watford last week and I'd expect more here because if anything, you know, we've all been kind of like, we've liked what we've seen from Norwich so far, but I think they're a little bit open at the back as well. So I would say there's going to be a few goals in this one, I think. Yeah. High scoring yeah. draw, maybe. Oh. Yeah, it, it just yeah. depends on who takes the chances, basically. Yeah, you've got 20 it, think, seconds left, so keep going. <laughs> well, you can <laughs> yeah, basically, I think there's going to be a lot of chances created because both teams like to attack. They are both quite open. They're not they're not watertight by any means. No. And then it's just going to be, you know, if Pucky can carry on scoring goals every week. But the thing is, with players like this who are going to get promoted, they score goals early on. They can't keep scoring every week because they'd end up with yeah. 20, 25 goals a season. And only the best players do that. So, Amazaki. We'll like yeah. yeah. And yeah. Pavel Pogrebniak. Yeah. Pucky yep. and Pogrebniak were on that same early goal scorer list last mm. week. I just think and that, look at them now. I just think the way Norwich is set up, it is all so focused on Pucky. If he doesn't get a goal, if he doesn't drive them on then then they're, then they're in real trouble I, I I think this is going to be another be, uh, beating for them this weekend Okay and then we have two games left to talk about Burnley playing Liverpool um, we, we chatted about this before we started recording and one of the things that we talked about was the, the Turf Moor myth you know you know, again, we can't find the, the cliche bell to ring it, so we'll just ding, have to ding 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 ding. ding, ding. Um, this whole idea of going to turf more, you know, it's very difficult. Long ball merchants, you know, can they do it on a on a wet? Well, hopefully, it's not going to be too wet uh, this weekend. Probably is. And and that's the, that's the sort of stats when you look at the the points they've got from top six sides at home. It hasn't been great. I think their their tactic of being very organised, being quite physically imposing doesn't necessarily work against top six sides. Eight Every, points. Eight points from 18 eight games. Eight points from 18. That, that's not a very good return. It's not a very good return when it's played up that they always get something. You know, the, the rhetoric seems to be, oh, they always get something, they make it difficult. I think the way that they play makes it difficult, but the top six sides are not beyond mixing it physically and, sure. you know, relying on set pieces and being aggressive. They won't be daunted by that. And I think that, Liverpool are a perfect example of that. There's there's no there's no one in that Liverpool team that Burnley will look to press on and, and look to bully. And I think because of that, that may well be their unravelling because they don't have enough creativity to break Liverpool down. Liverpool rested players there last season, didn't they, in December, and won. And I remember that being a big win for them then because you think mm. if they could do that against Burnley with the players out, I think like Shaqiri started and that kind of thing. And they'd also, and had, they loads anyway. of, they'd also had loads of clean sheets at that point. I remember it. I think they went one down. I think they went one down, Jack Cork. So and and that was a big test because then you know you're at Burnley. I think Joe Gomez got his his leg broken that night as well. Um, and what you're saying about Burnley, I think they are a difficult team to play against. Uh, mm. You think of that that how difficult that win was. Cities at the end of last season. I think it is a test for teams. Yeah, that going into City's head as well. Yeah. Guardiola said it's like going to the dentist. Exactly, I remember that. The, yeah. <laughs> so so they are definitely a test, but most top teams usually find a way through. Yeah. Well, hopefully they won't. <laughs> and the last game of the weekend <laughs> have we saved a good one for last probably not Everton versus Wolves I just think this I like is, this I like the sound of it I think it's I think it's apt that we're, we're kind of leaving this to last because I just think the way that Everton have started I think there's been a lot of talk about them but for me they've been massively massively uninspiring uh, I watched the, the EFL Cup game against Lincoln the other night and they, they fell behind after a minute and yeah they you know put the fight up to Lincoln but Lincoln still looked like a threat. Lincoln got a second goal. Obviously, Everton won in the end with, with goals in the last 10 minutes, but I, I just 
you watch them play and there doesn't seem to be a, a zip about them. There doesn't seem to be a, a fluidity about them. Everyone seems to kind of stop when they get the ball. Sigurdsson wants to drop off and stop and, and play that arcing pass. So does Andre Gomez. Morgan Schneidlin kind of is a very odd situation. He, he looked like he was going to leave the club. Now when he plays, he doesn't know whether he's meant to break the lines. I think Adrissa uh, Gago is, is a big loss for them. And I, and I think crucially, and it's very difficult to have this conversation with Everton fans because they massively disagree with me on this, but up front, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, their output of goals just isn't good enough. Uh, that is a big problem for them. I would wonder whether they just create enough chances. You know, they seem to, one week they play Calvert-Lewin, they've signed Moyes Keane, who likes it on the deck. Calvert-Lewin's obviously, you know, a big lad, um, an aerial presence. I just wonder whether Silva's got the right setup behind them to, to create enough chances going forward. Um, and as for Wolves, I, I think we know what to expect from Wolves now. They're a very solid team. They're very, they sit tight defend well and they're going to be tired from the yeah, game against Torino always, yeah, so. the Europa League is just always a problem isn't it mm. maybe it's a myth maybe it's a myth but I'm sure you know any team who plays on a Thursday night and then plays on a, a Sunday or even mm. Monday generally struggle um, yeah I think these two teams played each other on the first weekend of the season last year and it was yep. kind of yeah, yeah. good exciting you know two all draw it was all the best of the two teams but I'm just wondering if it might be the, the worst of them at the moment like you mm. say with for all the reasons you just mentioned but I hope it's a good game that Two two potentially entertaining teams. I just hope they've got enough, not so much in the tank, but just enough about them in this in this weekend to actually have another another good game with potentially goals. Because it could be two all again, it could be nil nil, depending on how they're feeling. And that was an absolute speed round of all the Premier <laughs> League games. We went over, we went more than a minute on every single one of them, but we still did, we still whizzed them all through. Um, so that's our show. Thank you very much for listening. As always, the normal podcast stuff, if you've enjoyed it, give us a five star rating, give us a lovely comment, give us a subscription, the rest <laughs> of it. Thank you very much. And don't forget as well, if you've got an Alexa, you can enable Sports Social on that as well. And then you can get daily news, all sorts of different news for the team that you support so thank you very much for joining us uh, this is the foot the daily football oh my god i've got the name wrong football so, social daily the football social daily because obviously if you listen all the time you'll know that we had to change our name because the premier league tapped us on the wrists uh, so we need to get the new name out there so thank you very much for joining us football social daily get daily news and updates on your team via your amazon alexa just ask alexa open sports social with the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.